On this episode of the BYO Nano Podcast, being a small brewery comes with challenges and standing out in the crowd. Our guest today will talk about how nanos can make an impact through festivals, events, and seasonal releases. This is John Hall, and welcome to episode 34. There are a lot of challenges when operating a small brewery. One of them is trying to stand out among larger counterparts, be it breweries with statewide distribution, larger tap rooms, or even stadium contracts. But the nano brewery segment is fierce and continues to find ways to make waves and be seen among the country's thousands of breweries. Our guest today will talk about that from festival strategies to seasonal releases. But first, a word of thanks to the show's sponsors, and we hope you'll give them a closer look. Hey, nano brewers, discover Safe Brew BR 8 by Fermentis, the first dry bread for secondary fermentation. This yeast strain is a reliable tool for attaining a slightly funky, specific vanilla character in your beers and is available in 100 gram sachets, as is the whole Safe Lager and Safe Ale yeast range. Discover more about Safe Brew, BR-8, or other yeast strains by attending the Fermentus presentation during NanoCon, or go to Fermentus.com. We're also brought to you by Grainfather. Whether you're looking for a brewing system to create trial recipes, or you want to easily add production capacity to your nano brewery, the Grainfather G70 electric brewing system is your solution. The G70 has a 70 liter capacity allowing you to easily make half-barrel batches of beer in a compact system that won't take up valuable floor space. Ask your BSG sales manager for more information about the G70 today, or go to grandfather.com to learn more. And you can get access to hundreds of hours of on-demand videos covering small craft brewery strategies with BYO's new Nano Plus membership. Learn from craft beer experts watching replays of past NanoCon seminars plus a complete library of in-depth workshops. You'll also have full online access to all of BYO's digital content and an annual print magazine subscription. Check out byo.com slash nanoplus for more details. The Great American Beer Festival was held earlier this month and it brought tens of thousands of beer drinkers to Denver in search of small pours and good times. While it can be fun to pour at those events, it's also expensive and the return on investment is sometimes hard to measure. Still, festivals are a proven part of the beer industry that help breweries connect with consumers. And happily, there's a number of fests that specifically cater to nanos across the country. Anne Lineham and her husband, Ben, are the owners of Brocklebank Craft Brewing in Tunbridge, Vermont. She organizes the annual Vermont Nano Brewery Festival. In her day job, Anne is the Director of Graduate Academic Programs at Vermont Law and Graduate School. And she joined me from Vermont to talk about the benefits of specialized festivals. So for those unfamiliar, can you tell me a little bit about Vermont Nano Fest? Sure, uh, this past year's fest was the sixth annual fest. Um, the, the thing that makes it different is that we focus on nano breweries. Um, so it's, it's only nanos at this event. Um, this past year, we had 14 different Vermont nano breweries, which is the most we've had. We've usually done 11 or 12, but we expanded it a little. Um, and we also uh, limit the number of attendees. So we try to have a total number of people at just about 1,000 to sort of you know, keep, 
people keep a minimum of people waiting in line and, and just make it a, a nice experience for everybody. And, and I imagine that actually helps the brewers who presumably are there um, or the owners to, to really connect with folks in a way that they might not be able to um, even in their own tap rooms. I think that's true. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're fortunate at NanoFest that um, for the most part, the actual brewers come to the fest and those are, they are the ones serving the beer, which is not always the case at every fest. Sometimes you just have uh, random volunteers who don't even work at the brewery serving the beer. And, and most, most of the NanoFest breweries have an actual brewer come, which makes, I think, for a fun experience for attendees to get to meet those people and talk to them a little bit. So when it comes to, we're just a, a week or so uh, away from the Great American Beer Festival and you know, it's tens of thousands of people who show up and it's hundreds of breweries from around the country. And um, I'm always sort of struck by the larger name breweries being, you know, the, the, the ones that people can get everywhere still having the biggest lines. Um, you know, these big national brands. And there, there's often a lot of really good beer from very small producers that goes unlooked on a big stage like that. Um, what are some of the benefits, you know, aside from what you've already said, of having a smaller festival where, you know, nanos aren't necessarily competing with the behemoths? I mean, I, th I think that's, that is the biggest benefit for the nanos sure. is is that everybody's small at these so there's there isn't one one big behemoth there dominating well i guess i'll backtrack a little and say <laughs> Brocklebank as the host of the fest tends to be the one that has a big line just because it's in our town and and a lot of our neighbors are there uh but but in general you know everybody's getting traffic um to their brewery which um yeah, it's just it, it's just a chance to to stand out and and get to meet people, um, and you know nobody's just sort of standing there with nobody at their table. Everybody has people coming and trying their beer. I imagine economics also plays a role in some of this. Of when you're with like sized breweries um, or at a fest that is you know geared towards really promoting your segment of the industry. Um, that, that could be maybe better money spent by breweries than maybe getting lost in the labyrinth that is Denver. Um, yeah, I, I, we've certainly never been to a fest as huge as the Denver event because we're so tiny, but I think even in the landscape of, you know, some of the bigger fests in Vermont, um, I, I think a small brewery might get more bang for their buck at NanoFest. I mean, I think any small brewery that's considering whether to attend a fest. Um, I mean, yeah, you're getting your name out there and, and you know, this it's a promotional opportunity, but it's also important to think about, um, are, are you having to pay to attend? Or how much are you getting paid for your beer? Are, are they reimbursing you sort of the wholesale cost of kegs? Um, you know, what is, what's it really gonna cost to attend this event? I mean, for, for a really small brewery, a lot of our nanos are just a one person shop. And so you got to close your tap room to come to this event. Um, and you want to make sure that that's going to make financial sense. Um, when I started NanoFest, I made a decision early on that I wanted this to be a profitable event for small breweries. And so um, people 
pay for the three ounce, three ounces at a time, $1 per three ounces. Um, and the brewers get 100% of that. Um, so if, if you give out, you know, 800 tickets worth of beer, then you're getting $800. Um, so it's definitely, definitely more money than brewers make um, at most festivals. And I, I think, especially when you're a tiny brewery with a tight budget, uh, those are important things to keep in mind. Um, when it comes to, you know, cause again, you, you know, one stop shop or, you know, one person shops and in, in, in a lot of cases or two people, um, you know, festivals can add on a lot of commitment. Um, you know, if it, it might mean closing the tap room for the day or hiring somebody for, for, for additional help. Um, but I, I think there's probably also benefits of getting outside of somebody's four walls um, and seeing what other people are doing. Um, in the years that you've been doing this fest and, and you've been uh, able to stop and visit you know, other tables or um, see what other folks are, are, are doing, um, what have you learned? What have you taken away from being surrounded by your peers uh, in, in that setting? All right, well, something I'm really proud about with the NanoFest is how many of the brewers who attend say it's absolutely their favorite fest of the year. Um, and I think that's a combination of you know the, the small size of the fest and it's also a beautiful setting um, on the Tunbridge Fairgrounds. Um, and just, I think part of that is the opportunity to, to get to chat with your kind of peer brewers um, at the end when we're breaking down and cleaning up. I mean, some people need to hit the road immediately and, and throw everything in the truck and roll out, but there's always, yeah. you know, a chance to, to hang out with, with your fellow brewers and just talk about what's it like to be this, this little tiny operation and, and some of the newer ones who are just getting up and going and, and just sort of comparing notes. Um, I think that the, the brewery scene in Vermont is really collegial. I think it's not it doesn't feel competitive. Um, and so there's a lot of like, oh, hey, you know, Dirt Church is a new brewery and they came to Nano and, and they're awesome and they're cool. And when I have visitors to our tap room, I can say, yeah, you guys should go up and check out Dirt Church. You know, they're way up in the northeast corner of Vermont and they're worth a visit. So I think that there's some nice kind of networking that goes on that way um, that feels special for all the little breweries who have more in common with each other. Yeah. Have you seen any good examples of small breweries working to make a good impression at the festival, aside from the beer, to get people to come and visit after the fact? I'm just, I, again, I'm sort of thinking of some of the, you know, the larger, um, uh, you know, these larger breweries from, from Denver, just because it's, it's, it's in my mind from last week, but, um, you know, elaborate displays or, you know, stickers on the table or, you know, music or, or whatever it is. Um, I, I know whatever the big guys do, smaller breweries can, can, can also, uh, you know, mimic within their own, within their own budget. But have you seen examples of things that I, that could potentially pay dividends aside from, Hey, this is a really good three ounce pour of beer. <laughs> um, yeah. It's like some people certainly go all out to, to decorate their, their spot um and it's it's usually on a little more rustic scale than what some of the bigger guys do at at big fests um that's always fun to see um and i think 
I, I've got to say as well, partly I think because our fest is in the summertime when it's when it's hot, but you see the, the people who have like a crazy colored beer are always the ones that are going to attract <laughs> a lot of attention. Like, whoa, where'd you get that hot magenta beer? Oh, so, <laughs> I think that always, that draws people in. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's something to be said for trying to make an impression like that at a festival um, and trying to, to, to sort of grab that zeitgeist of however many attendees are there. Yeah, I, I think the, the attendees at this fest, I mean, they, they know that the theme is small breweries and they are excited to learn about breweries that they'd never heard of before um, or, you know, in different corners of our state that they hadn't visited. And I think, you know, because so many of these breweries are small, they're not distributing in stores throughout the state, let alone throughout the region. Um, it's, it's a chance for people to, to try beers that they just wouldn't get to try otherwise and then decide, you know, that was a really cool place. I'm going to have to make a special road trip to visit their tasting room. Um, but it really, it's a chance for these little guys to, to get their name out and get people to hear of them outside of just finding a, you know, random four pack in your, in your convenience store cooler, which a lot of these guys are just not doing yet. Yeah. So as small breweries who maybe haven't done a ton of festivals, I mean, they're, you know, we've, we've been on hiatus for the last two or so years, uh, uh, largely because of COVID. And uh, I know budgets are, are, are consideration for folks of, you know, what are we going to spend on, uh, on, on things like this, but um, are there one or two tips, pieces of advice, thoughts that you think small brewers, you know, nano should be thinking about um, before committing to a festival? You know, it's nice to be invited. And I think the knee jerk reaction is always, yeah, we should do that. But, um, you know, what do you encourage people to think about? Or, you know, even conversely, what kind of fests do you think nanos fit best in where they can hopefully stand out? Uh, well, obviously, I think they fit best in the nano fest. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, as I mentioned, I think it's it's important to really think about the cost and the revenue of doing a fest, not not just, oh, yeah, this is our, you know, marketing and getting our name out there. But, you know, there are some where you can financially do better than others. So I, I definitely think that's something for, for breweries to take into consideration. Um, there are a lot of festivals and um, it's hard work. You know, it's, it's a long day at a fest. There can be multiple sessions. It can be a hot day and you're, you're on your feet all day. And you, you know, you don't, you can't do one every single weekend as a little <laughs> nano, I think you'd just exhaust yourself. So, yeah. um, you know, my advice would be to really think carefully about which ones make the most sense. And, you know, is it something that's in your region or a region that you're trying to expand into, or is it something that has a special theme that ties into the kind of thing that your brewery does? Um, you know, just knowing that, that you can't do them all, I think it's important to choose wisely. Um, I think I, I would encourage brewers to try to bring a volunteer with them to help them for the day. Um, you know, at, at NanoFest, we do have a few who really are solo shops. And um, so I always have some volunteers lined up who are licensed to pour and can, you know, step in if they need to go and like have a break, get a snack or whatever. But I, I think it's it's great to bring someone with you for the day if you possibly can just to 
just to help out with stuff. Um, but really, um, be choosy if you can. You don't have to do every single fest, and and some are definitely a better experience than others. I would encourage everybody to keep an eye on the website just to to see, and then go see how a good nano fest is done by going to Vermont next summer. I hope they will. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and thanks for being on the show this month. I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. We'll get back to the show in a moment, but first, another word of thanks to our sponsors, and we hope you'll give them a closer look. Hey, Nano Brewers, discover Safe Brew BR 8 by Fermentis, the first dry bread for secondary fermentation. This yeast strain is a reliable tool for attaining a slightly funky, specific phenolic character in your beers and is available in 100 gram sachets, as is the whole Safe Lager and Safe Ale yeast range. Discover more about Safe Brew. BR-8, or other yeast strains by attending the Fermentus presentation during NanoCon or go to Fermentus.com. We're also brought to you by Grainfather. Whether you're looking for a brewing system to create trial recipes or you want to easily add production capacity to your nanobrewery, the Grainfather G70 electric brewing system is your solution. The G70 has a 70 liter capacity, allowing you to easily make half barrel batches of beer in a compact system that won't take up valuable floor space. Ask your BSG sales manager for more information about the G70 today, or go to grandfather.com to learn more. And you can get access to hundreds of hours of on-demand videos covering small craft brewery strategies with BYO's new Nano Plus membership. Learn from craft beer experts, watching replays of past NanoCon seminars, plus a complete library of in-depth workshops. You'll also have full online access to all of BYO's digital content and an annual print magazine subscription. Check out byo.com slash nanoplus for more details. I was in Oregon last month where I met my next two guests. Both are nano brewers in Portland and are doing their best to navigate the small waters while also working to make an impression. One way they've done this is with seasonals. Dylan Vendetta, who was born in Vermont and raised in upstate New York, first started a coffee distributorship before going into information technology. He started homebrewing in 2012, and in late 2019, he formed Labyrinth Forge Brewing Company, intending to contract most of his beer and to sell kegs to bars and restaurants around town. But due to COVID-19, he started making home deliveries, selling in cans to grocery stores and even out of his house. And today, he's actively looking for a retail space to have a taproom and a small brewery. And Joe Shahili is the owner and head brewer at Gateway Brewing, a five-barrel brewery in the Gateway District of Portland, Oregon. With over 20 years of industry experience, Joel not only excels at developing well-made beers, but is also savvy in brewery operations, infrastructure, and the mechanical side of owning and operating a brewery. They joined me via Zoom from Oregon. Uh, Dylan, right before we started, you, you had mentioned that you are so small that everything is a seasonal for you. And since, since we're talking seasonals this month, I wonder if you could sort of unpack that a little bit more as to how you're approaching all of the beers you're making uh, yeah, with sure. yeah seasons um, holidays months in mind yeah yeah i um seasonals is something i've i've been thinking about for quite a while um i do have some some 
uh, flagship beers, or I, I call them flagships, but they're, you know, for the size that we're at, it's not really a flagship. It's more like a um, dinghy. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I try to keep my stout, my Kolsch and my IPA on at all times. Um, but because I'm brewing uh, at such a small scale and infrequently, um, it's like one beer a month. So if I'm going to do a seasonal, it's going to knock something else out for that month. Um, and uh, at least at the, at the scale that we're, we're at. Um, so like this, this season, we're doing the, the winter ale. Um, but, uh, you know, my, my Mexican lager uh, comes out in, in May, and that's been super popular. Um, I, in the fall, I usually do a, a pumpkin beer as well. Um, but uh, this year kind of had to skip it. So not sure where to go from there. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about ingredients in a minute, but you know, we're, we're getting towards uh, what I guess is the, the, the end. And now the, uh, we're past the, 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 the harvest season, but um, certainly there's uh, some of the beers on tap, but um, Joel, from your standpoint, um, does fresh hop factor into the nano realm? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, we uh, we try to do a fresh hop every year, um, and there's enough fresh hop festivals around that it's pretty easy for us to get into at least one. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I guess everybody, you know, the bigger breweries are also all uh, doing fresh hops, but it seems like. Uh, even being a smaller brewery, uh, we don't necessarily get overlooked uh, as far as the fresh shop goes. Yeah, can you can you unpack that a little bit more for me? Because because I know when it comes to festivals, uh, and we talked about this uh, in another segment on this show, of it's hard for smaller breweries to get attention even at festivals especially when there's larger breweries there but when there's a unifying factor of everybody coming in with a fresh hop do you find that that helps you stand out or you know you maybe even just be on a more level playing field than you know a Deschutes or a Full Sail or you know insert large Oregon brewery name here sure yeah um I I don't know that it necessarily uh, at least in my case, stand out. Um, but it definitely uh, makes it easier to be considered um, for a festival like that. Um, but of course, you know, the bigger uh, insert brewery name here, yeah. uh, they are going to be more uh, likely to get the a spot over me. But um, but I think I typically have a pretty good chance. When, when you get into a festival like that, what do you see as the opportunity for you as a small brewery? Uh, just being in front of more people, um, more people seeing my name and tasting the quality of my beer and uh, hopefully just them looking for me around more frequently yeah and, yeah yeah it's a little bit more exposure yeah i how, how does it work for you dylan when you're out in in these situations um you know, how, what opportunities do you 
try to yeah, manifest? Yeah, so that's that's actually a really good question. It's um, we don't necessarily have the systems in place to see what uh, what results we're getting from them. I mean, I I've, I'm sure, like I did some advertising for the the Portland Pickles here, and I'm sure I got people going to my website because of that. But I have no idea what that um, looks like for you know uh, sales. Um, for we did the NanoFest this year, um, and not sure I got any sales out of that. I mean, certainly I got my beer in people's hands, and direct feedback is always good from the customer to see what people like and what they don't. Um, I, I just I need to back up just a little bit for those unfamiliar with the Portland Pickles. Can you? Um, I'm assuming oh. it's a team of some kind. Yeah, it's a baseball team here. It's a minor league baseball team here in Southeast Portland. Oh, okay. Isn't there a hop-themed baseball team in Portland? Um, I think that's on the west side. It's the Hillsboro Hops. Oh, okay. So yeah. separate. So the Pickles, do they oh, – never mind. I was going to ask if they play the hops or, you know, what, but then it's – then we're just getting into all sorts of weird fermentation and sports <laughs> metaphors uh, and, and, and everything. Um <laughs> But it, it's 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 interesting that you're that that you're doing that and that you do see website traffic, but that you know the ROI isn't necessarily apparent. Yeah, it's it, it's make it makes it difficult too because people are looking for a location like to go to, and uh, you know the website is great and all for getting your name out there, but um, you know I'm doing home deliveries. Uh, but uh, there's no place for them to go and have a pint, right? I think uh, a lot of the one of the benefits of having a tap room is that when you do your advertising, you can say, "Oh, come down to here and get a special on blah blah blah," and uh, you know it kind of drives traffic to the tap room, which is where most of the profit is. But we don't have that capability at the moment. So, are there other avenues that you've explored to try to keep your name out there to keep it relevant? Um, I do some direct mailings or like, uh, email mailings. I do Instagram, uh, and Facebook posts. Um, what else have I done? They, they you know, like the NanoFest, I was hoping to get some traffic there. Um, we did uh, the Portland craft beer festival this year, which is a larger festival. Um, and that was, I think it, we definitely got some feedback on untapped for, for that, uh, festival. Uh, just keeping, you know, keeping the momentum going um, is where we're, I'm currently at. Yeah. Joel, what about you? Uh, yeah, uh, COVID helped us uh, realize the importance of canning, um, which has turned into uh, us being in a few uh, local stores. Uh, and... Uh, Yeah, sorry, that was that was the one thought I had, but um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's no problem. Um, but yeah, canning canning has uh, has been a big part for us um, since again we don't have a storefront either um, that we can at least, and then we have a few regular uh, draft accounts, so it might be a little easier for us to say at a festival, hey, yeah, go try us at. Joe's Bar and Grill or, uh, you know, find us at Winco or Market of Choice or something like that. So, yeah, that makes sense. Um, 
right, let's let's jump back a little bit to the uh, to ingredients and the importance of seasonal, um, and especially Dylan on your size system. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine you don't need very much um, no. to achieve the flavors that you're looking for. Um, but how important is sourcing for you? Um, I think it's it's pretty important. I you know I, especially for the fresh hop season. Um, I got this year. I did a a one one barrel batch of fresh hop beer, um, and I, I used a hundred pounds of of uh, uh, centennial hops for that. Uh, not a hundred pounds, twenty pounds. Okay, I was going <laughs> to say that <laughs> twenty pounds is still <laughs> not a, a lot. Professional brewer, but that math was giving me pause for a second. Yeah, yeah. twenty pounds is still a lot for a one barrel, and um, you know, but you know, I got it from uh, Crosby Hop Farms here. It was my first time um, doing business with them, and it was excellent. Um, but it's, it, I like to get my ingredients as local as I possibly can. I mean, you do a spruce tip beer. Um, I mm-hmm. see uh, you have a imperial pumpkin stout um, yes. that you've done. Um, when you're able to talk with folks, even if it's through email or at festivals, um, do you think that when you're talking about the sourcing of ingredients, as somebody is tasting your beer at a festival, um, it helps them forge that deeper connection? Uh, I, I like to bring it up. Um, I haven't really noticed much of a, a difference. Um, I'm not sure. It, I think at one point it was pretty important, but uh, my well, at least since COVID, I haven't really had anybody say, wow, that's really great that you're getting it all locally. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I really haven't noticed much difference. Yeah, Joel, have you had many interactions on that front? Um, I think uh, as as far as the fresh hop thing goes, uh, people are always curious where you get them. Um, you know, we're we're pretty fortunate that we can almost drive right down the street to pick up our hops. Yeah. Um, but as far as like malt and just our day-to-day hops and yeast and things like that. Um, I don't know that, I mean, people sometimes might ask, but uh, I don't know that it's a make it or break it deal for anybody. Um, I, I think because we're, we pretty much, for the most part, we're all getting uh, stuff from the same place. Yeah. Um, so it, 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 it looks like you both, uh, at least once a year, get together and do a collaboration. Um, this, uh, Belgian cherry crush, uh, that, that I'm looking at, uh, on my screen right now. Um, one, I guess, how did that come together? Um, and then two, you know, I mean, I, I know a lot of folks do collaboration beers, um, but is there... I don't know. Is there is there something that is a little bit more fun, given your brewery's sizes, um, of getting together and and creating something? Dylan forced me to do it. Oh. <laughs> yes, it was totally forced. Um, <laughs> well, so I, I can jump in here a little bit. Uh, you know, I started brewing with Joel um, 
my all of my beers like uh, my production he's my production brewery uh five barrels is a whopping huge um <laughs> but uh my half barrel system isn't really big enough to uh to make a living at or make a, a brewery work at um so you know i started brewing my beers there and we got to talking and thought it would be a good idea to do a collaboration uh especially with 2020 it was our first time doing that and uh that was a really hard year for all of us so um it was just something that would help lift our spirits and you know work together and just help develop our relationship as well so yeah and, and i uh we get along real well and communicate real well and uh you know he's got he's got really neat i recipe ideas that uh that maybe i i don't have sometimes and so it's it's fun to it's fun for me to kind of step out out of my little box sometimes and uh and it's it's a nice high alcohol beer too so that's always nice <laughs> <laughs> there's something to be said about you know, when you are a small brewery and being within your four walls and not having, you know, the staff or the time or the, even the bandwidth um, to, to, to break away, uh, maybe even as much as you would, uh, having something like that to look forward to, I think is, is one smart and uh, to a lot of other folks should be thinking about of just, you know, putting something on the calendar for a yearly, a yearly gathering just for camaraderie in the in the beer sense yeah and and we and at least i consider this like a true collaboration i mean we're both in there putting in the grain you know uh, cleaning the mash tun um and celebrating together in the moment what we're doing yeah yeah it's uh i, I still like getting my hands dirty <laughs> I dig it. Uh, well, thanks to you both for being on the show and for sharing your insights and uh, talking some seasonality with us this month. I, I, I really appreciate the, uh, the time and the passion. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. What are you doing to stand out as a nano brewery? Let us know. You can email us. It's nano at byo.com. And I'll invite you to head over to byo.com slash nanopodcast. There, you can subscribe to the newsletter as well as the magazine, and you can catch up with great pro-brewing content. New episodes of this show are released on the 15th of every month, so subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released. And you can also do us a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice or by emailing nano at byo.com or checking in with us on all of the BYO social media channels. And as always, thanks to this episode's sponsors. Hey, Nano Brewers, discover SafeBrew BR-8 by Fermentis, the first dry bread for secondary fermentation. This yeast strain is a reliable tool for attaining a slightly funky, specific vanilla character in your beers and is available in 100 gram sachets, as is the whole Safe Lager and Safe Ale yeast range. Discover more about SafeBrew BR-8 or other yeast strains by attending the Fermentis presentation during NanoCon or go to fermentus.com. We're also brought to you by Grainfather. Whether you're looking for a brewing system to create trial recipes, or you want to easily add production capacity to your nano brewery, the Grainfather G70 electric brewing system is your solution. 
The G70 has a 70 liter capacity, allowing you to easily make half barrel batches of beer in a compact system that won't take up valuable floor space. Ask your BSG sales manager for more information about the G70 today, or go to grandfather.com to learn more. And you can get access to hundreds of hours of on-demand videos covering small craft brewery strategies with BYO's new Nano Plus membership. Learn from craft beer experts, watching replays of past NanoCon seminars, plus a complete library of in-depth workshops. You'll also have full online access to all of BYO's digital content and an annual print magazine subscription. Check out byo.com slash nanoplus for more details. I'm John Hall, and you can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast, as well as Steal This Beer. You can find those where podcasts are found, and I hope you'll tune in. Our theme music was created by Scott McCampbell, and we thank him for that. And once again, be sure to check out byo.com slash nanopodcast for all of your nano brewing needs. And for now, we wish you all the best for a small but successful brew day. <laughs>